Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another Red Shirt Friday edition of Rural Route. It's a red shirt because we say thank you to those men and women who've spent 243 years protecting our freedom. But Rural Route is all about connecting rural and urban America, and we do it Monday through Friday, Brad Edwards. That's how often we get together and pontificate about the challenges. I thought on this Red Shirt Friday that we would do what nobody else is doing, not talk about a virus. We're going to talk about something that really hit my bailiwick, I'll call it that. I should look up to see what a bailiwick really is before I use that word so often. Regardless, I saw a post about a book called Sacred Land, a neo-Western crime novel. I've long thought it was time for the Western era to come back. Brett Edwards, the author, is joining us today from... Surely you misled me. You don't live in Los Angeles, correct? I unfortunately do live in Los Angeles. <laughs> is there, Brett, is there what? anybody that says, I proudly live in Los Angeles, I love it? <laughs> There's a lot of people, just uh, they may not be my best of friends. Oh, that's a, oh, that's a perfect positioning. A native yeah. of uh, right off of the Ohio River, I think, huh? That's right, yeah, originally from Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, grew up there and went to college in Ohio at Dayton and I had just you know enough of the cold weather and because it was either going to be New York or Los Angeles because initially I wanted to be and still am uh, an actor and so it was one of the two places and I mean the second I moved out there Georgia uh, did their whole tax rebate program for film and TV and now they're the number one producer of studio feature television and films uh, theatrical films in the world. And so right in my backyard, I could have gone there, but instead I had to move out to Los Angeles. Okay, so now that you've mentioned that, that makes more sense. Um, I, you wouldn't know this, but I do have one acting gig, and it's on Netflix right now. It's called The Stand at Paxton County, and I only say that because I, I knew nothing about what was going on when I showed up that day on the set, and I met this man named <laughs> Michael O'Neill, and he was my counterpart in that film, and Michael O'Neill was the kindest, gentlest mentor one could ever ask for. We hit it off right away. He has become a dear friend. Michael's been acting for 30 years, and they are now filming in Georgia. It's called mm -hmm. uh, The Council of Dads. It was on last night. Um but it's in Savannah, Georgia, and I never thought to ask him, why are there so many things happening in Georgia? But you just told us why. And what happened is the governor that's in place, I don't know if he's still in place, but when he put the law in, he said that no other governor that comes in after me can change the law in the sense that they can't reduce the rebate program. So all the, just about all the major productions are going there. Um, Netflix is building their own studio there. They're also doing one in New Mexico, which primarily does westerns and uh, war pictures. And, um, you know, there are several other places that are just completely building out studios because it, it's just economically so viable for them. Huh. That's vastly interesting. Speaking of westerns... I mean, in fact, go ahead. in fact, I actually shot... The Longest Ride, which was a Nicholas Sparks picture um, with Scott Eastwood. You know, we, play, we both played bull riders on it. Uh -huh. And we shot that in North Carolina. And at the time, I had an agent that sent me the audition 
in Wilmington, North Carolina, and I said, and he was sending it from a agency in Atlanta, and I said, when you know, when the heck did you leave Los Angeles? He goes, oh, I left six months ago. I didn't tell you. I said, I guess I'm not a top client, but no, you didn't tell me. And so I said, when's the audition? And he goes, it's Tuesday. And I said, it's Friday, and Monday is Memorial Day. And he's like, yeah. And I said, oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, so <laughs> my wife and I uh, decided just to make a weekend out of it, you know, which was a really expensive weekend out of it. But we went last-minute tickets all the way to Wilmington, North Carolina, to audition for the longest ride. Fortunately, I got it, you know, which <laughs> may or may not have barely played for the paid for the plane tickets. But what a well, while, you know. Wait, wait a minute, Brett. You, you did say the name of the movie was The Longest Ride. That's a, that's a fair point. <laughs> you took the longest ride to get there to ride for eight seconds, so that was all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sound like a regular rodeo cowboy. <laughs> you do. That's how it works. You drive from Billings to San Antonio to ride for eight seconds. That's what happens. Then the next day you drive that's to right. Omaha. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you're right. Uh, North Carolina, that wasn't filmed at Love Valley, was it? It was film. Let's see. We did a couple of weeks in Winston Salem oh. over there at Wake Forest, uh, Jacksonville, I believe it's called. Um, oh, yeah. the only reason I ask is that you're familiar with Love Valley in North Carolina. I'm not. They they've got this old western theme town where there are no vehicles allowed, and um, everything is horseback, and it's just this great little horseback tourist destination, so to speak. And I personally have not been there, but I have many friends who've been there, and they just can't stop speaking fondly of it. I'm going to have to check it out. That sounds yeah. like a good place to visit. It's kind of like uh, the uh, horse part of Norco, California. You're familiar with Norco? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I shot just a ter- terrible movie down there once. It, um, it was one of the first things I ever did, and it's one of those cheesy paranormal scary type movies and uh you know it's one of those you wish you could have back we shot it some closed down mental insane asylum and (laughs) i remember norco well i remember norco fondly because they have have had a horse week for years i was actually the grand marshal one year but that is the coolest thing i mean in the shadows of los angeles you have a little town that half of the town is today's kind of a town the other half uh, every business has to have a hitching rail. Every business that has a drive-through has to be accessible to horseback drive-through. Church services, horseback—it's just the coolest little thing in the middle of a, a swamp. Those yeah, you know coming. where you—you you know about that all the way where you're at. They don't do enough advertising for that kind of stuff up here, and I feel yeah. like they'd get a bigger crowd if they did. Yeah, they really would. Uh, so I didn't really have a plan, but we, we got lost in the weeds pretty good. The original reason I talk <laughs> Sacred Land, a neo-Western crime novel. What's the impetus behind this? So I was, um, so I had, I had a friend that ran a studio and for the longest time he didn't know I was a writer and I had done this play. I had written this play based on just a terrible experience I had with a commercial out here. And, uh, you know, nobody would put it on stage. So I did the 
obvious cheap thing of filming, getting a crew together and filming it. And it won World Fest Houston, 58 Film Festival or something like that. They'd been running almost 60 years. And he saw it at a film festival here in L.A. And he said, I had no idea you were a writer. And I said, yeah. And so he called me in and said, let's do, um, he said, I have some ideas. Are there any other scripts that you've written? And I said, yes. So I sent him one about two brothers in the rodeo, and I sent him another one about a country musician kind of trying to, on his down and out, trying to play real country western music on Music Row in Nashville, mm-hmm. which kind of doesn't exist anymore. And he said, you know, those aren't great, but he had this idea of this modern-day cowboys versus Indians, uh, where the cowboys are poor from cattle ranching and the, and the Indians are rich from casinos, and the Indians are buying up all the land back that was taken from them and putting it in trust. And there's a couple ranches that are just refusing to sell even though their time is dwindling because they don't have the money to pay for the land and um so anyway he's like i have this idea for a show let's bring you in maybe you can give a pitch and i gave a pitch and they gave me the 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 deal to write 10 episodes of a modern western of this modern western for them and <clears throat> so god it must have been about two years go by i'm developing a show with them back and forth about notes you know everybody's got to have their input and um it was a green light it was going we were casting and about i want to say about two weeks go by and i didn't hear anything from anyone and so i called them and they said well why don't you come into the office and i said okay so i thought shit this is terrible i'm (laughs) i'm uh they they hate the show i'm I'm not going to make it they don't like the cast whatever And they said that they were getting acquired by a larger studio and that the film was what they called something. The show was something they would love to see, but too unpolitically correct to produce. And so I didn't even know what that meant at the time. And so they said, we think it's just going to sit on the shelf. uh, This is a horrible time to say I'm going to interrupt you. But in the media world, I guess we'll call it a cliffhanger. If you want to come back and see how this political correctness ends... We'll be back with the second leg of the journey. Roll routes on a red shirt Friday right after this. And just want to take this opportunity to remind you, if not, if you have not, or if you haven't, want to see it again. My wife says she saw a lot of things the second time she didn't see the first time. The stand at Paxton County. It is dealing with the real live issues that people who own animals are dealt on a daily basis. Please go to Netflix, watch this, and then ask your friends to watch it and say, look what ranchers are dealing with. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose, the rude host. Just about the time my guest, I let him talk and get into a real rhythm about the impetus behind Sacred Land, a neo-Western crime novel. I have to interrupt him. So you're putting together something that's not politically correct and it gets killed from a TV series. Is that the short story of what you just told us? That's the short of it. And they told me, you know... It's going to sit on the shelf and nobody's going to make it. So, you know, kind of thanks for your time. Can't really, it's not something you can put on your resume and go tell another studio how great of a show you wrote that nobody's going to produce. Right. <laughs> so you can get another job. So what do you do? So I fought to get, I fought to get the rights back and thought about it for about a week uh, and said, do I want to pitch this to another studio? 
and then go through another year to a development with them if they like it. And I thought about it, and I said, you know what, I'm just going to turn it into a book because I've worked real hard on this series. I have enough content to turn it into a book. Mm -hmm. So now I guess that was about June of last year, and now I have this book that's out. Uh, yeah, you call it a novel, but obviously there's a lot of parallels to what's happening. I mean, ranchers struggling to make it. I, I did live on a Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota for five years, so I saw firsthand how, how they operate. Um, what you described is not necessarily fiction, Brett. You know that. No, this is going on, and a lot of my research was from that this is going on in several towns across the nation and there are also bills that have been recently passed in the house that allows these Indian reservations to transfer land bought back into a trust that puts annexes it back to the reservation and you know when it, if it goes through in the Senate then they're allowed to they're allowed to do that it becomes part of the reservation they can do whatever they want with their void taxes build uh, another casino, shopping malls, whatever. And uh, it's an interesting paradigm because, you know, you you got to think. I think there's a lot of guilt on one side saying, okay, yeah, they deserve it. And then there's another side saying, but where does the buck stop? Where is it? Where does it end? Because if you open the gates for that, then, you know, technically and theoretically, if they make enough money, then they can buy up half of America back and then you realize that this land no longer belongs to what what you once had and the people that once had it so um, and of course that goes both ways back to you know if you go on a long enough timeline but mm-hmm. the point is we're here now and, and and where does it end where does the buck stop and that's kind of a question that I've tried to answer with this book and through using fictional characters and all that sure. stuff, because I think it's more interesting. And what happens? What happens if it goes completely one way? Well, a couple things. Uh, many people don't know. When they hear about an Indian reservation, they think that it's all just Indian land. Um, I don't know what the percentages are. The percentages would be different on each reservation. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I can speak to the what seven in south dakota pretty well because i was a resident for a while um, right. there is a tremendous amount of each reservation which is deeded property owned by individuals non-tribal members on reservations and the tribe openly states that we are going to acquire as much of this land as we can and that's all fine and dandy if they acquire it when it's available and it's purchased uh if they go to links to create opportunities to bankrupt that said landowner that's a different deal but i'm intrigued that you're attempting to share this whole story and um, you get shut down because it's truth it no longer wants to be told is what the moral of the story is right well i think it's also kind of the nature uh the nature and ideologies of of the kind of the way that I view the world versus the way that the the the, the left leaning Hollywood system views mm-hmm. the world, and 
and that's also a major factor in this town and it's and it's prevalent and it's run amok in just about every narrative of every show in the last 10 years if not longer than that uh and so you know you have shows like yellowstone too which are out which are kind of similar subject matter and this was an issue that i had with the producers when we were making the show originally is that i said you know yellowstone's coming out are we concerned and they knew about yellowstone i said no your book is darker it's grittier it's or it wasn't a book at the time, it was a show. They said, your show is much darker, grittier, uh, a much more raw version of what's happening in the country. And, you know, they they said Yellowstone's uh, a little more soapy. That being said, uh, you know, I'm not trashing Yellowstone. I love that show. I think it's one of the best shows on TV. I, I have not watched the first one yet because I still have other work I want to get done. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> Yeah, a, it's one of those bit, you sit and find yeah, yourself I'm doing nothing. Yeah, I'm a bit nothing. compulsive, so uh, I'm afraid if I watched the first <laughs> one, I'd watch the last one the same, you know, like week or day, and it wouldn't be productive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can understand that. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm also up to speed enough on Hollywood and to know how. Well, let me just preface this because I became good friends with Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Uh, oh, Apollo yeah. Creed and Iraqi Creed. Yeah. He also played for the Oakland Raiders, uh, very established in Hollywood. Carl Weathers, at one point in time, was a limousine breeder, had limousine cattle, really good limousine cattle. And, and he was hands-on, very active, and just so approachable, just a great guy. And I did a deal in Hollywood in 2002 for a true whack job, Kevin Nealon, on what was called the Conspiracy Zone. And so while I was there debunking the myths that they were trying to perpetuate about milk consumption, I called Carl and we went to breakfast together. And I was explaining to him what I thought he and we should do, and that is start producing some of these, what you and I would agree to as more conservative based on true aspects, particularly of animal agriculture and and life in America. And he said, Trent, I'm fairly established in Hollywood. And if I tried to do that today, they would blackball me out of here. Now, that was 2002. Crazy. What, um, how do you view that? Because obviously what you're saying is not being thought of kindly by some, probably the majority. No, it's a complete intolerance of the crowd that's preaching nothing but tolerance. And, you know, your views are okay as long as they're in line with their views kind of situation and there's there's not there's i mean well let me tell you this story for instance i worked on a show maybe i shouldn't say the show but it's called uh well i shouldn't say the show but i worked on a show and i played basically a (laughs) i have a feeling you're gonna say it before we're done go ahead brett (laughs) yeah it's this (laughs) i worked on a show called ap bio and it's on a network show and um it's on a network, and so I I was playing a cowboy, and mm. there's this whole scene where um, you have to it's a it's it's a high school pep rally, and and it's a bull ride off, it's a mechanical bull ride off between a teacher and, and this third year high school senior semi professional bull rider, and and that was me, and they kind of pawned it off as more like hillbilly and hick than they did cowboy, and sure. You know, you can tell you can tell them there's a difference till you're blue in the face, but they just 
look at you and they're like, this is what it is. And so I said, okay. So anyway, we're, I'm dressed up in my wardrobe on set you know, as a cowboy and, and, um, and I, I go to use the head and there are two actors in there and I round the corner and I, I start going to the bathroom and, and they're talking about, um, Twitter and there's, and one of them saying, you know, I need to get on your level because you're just so amazing at how well you bash Trump and, and the conservatives on, on Twitter. And it's just, it's so well put and so well executed. And I just, I got to get on your level. And then I heard the other guy whisper and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about this later. And I'm like, for the love of God, guys, I, I'm, you, you don't know a thing about me. You probably don't even know my first name. You know my character name, mm-hmm. but I'm dressed up as a cowboy, and you're scared to even talk about this in front of me. But the whole town is just littered with people like you because, you know, this is basically your safe space, right? And I just uh, – it kind of put me in a bad – it put me in a bad situation because I'm thinking you, you're just you, – I just completely got judged by the way I was dressed. But right. it was for a part in Playland, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, Brett, I got to do it again. Brett Edwards, our guest, he just summarized the liberal safe spaces in the urinal. I took some license <laughs> to say that. Yeah, we'll be back with the second half of Roll Route right after this. The absolute answer to sustainability for ranchers and anybody in the beef cattle production is profitability. Finding the niche market that can add value and then you as the rancher capture the value is what you ultimately need. For us, we have found that Lone Creek Kettle Company's certified Piedmontese to be that answer. If you'd like to get more details about how it might work for you, go to the website, Certified Piedmontese. That's not the website, that's the program, LoneCreekCattleCo.com. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Lewis alongside Brett Edwards. We're ultimately talking about the novel that I'm suggesting you read. In fact, I'll be honest, I haven't read it yet. I just found out about it yesterday, Sacred Land, a neo-Western crime novel. Where do we find that, Brett? It's for sale on Amazon right now in paperback and Kindle version. And it's also will be, we're starting to roll it out. It'll be distributed by Ingram. We'll put it in stores, Target, Walmart, Costco, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you're the reason that when I drove, I drove last week to Georgia, by the way, um, oh, through, through good 15 hike. states. And every 10 miles I saw an Amazon truck. I think that uh, COVID is really benefiting Jeff, Jeff Bezos. But apparently they're hauling these books left and right and can't keep up. That's what I'm seeing. There are a lot of books, but, you know, the COVID thing, it, I know we said we were going to talk about something else, but it's just, it's kind of scary to see that how the, the giants like Amazon are all over the road and they're making out like bandits and mom and pop shops and small businesses. It's the eradication of the middle class of business. Yeah. Can I just, COVID thing. can I just point out that every place you mentioned is part of that giant marketplace? Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a that's a that's a great point. And uh, I mean, but you know, people go where they go to shop, and it's a numbers game when you're trying to sell books or peddle yeah. anything. I wrote a book in 2012 and peddled that thing, and you know, it looks like uh, such a luxurious deal to be selling a book. Twenty bucks, man, that's all profit. Well, it, it takes like 14 to make it. 
it's not all that good, <laughs> but it I is know. about volume. It's about volume, and my our paperbacks are priced at nine ninety nine. We make about a dollar. Oh, there's a ton of profit in that, right there, Brett. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's just trying to move. It's just trying to get the book out because I believe in the. I believe in the project. I think it's a, it's a fun, wild, pretty ride through a western town, uh, and, and and something that I really personally, from a storyteller's point of view, why I wanted to make this project so bad is that if you go anywhere and you look up western mm-hmm. and i haven't seen paxton county yet and i think that sounds like it's more of a modern western but it's all these inspired by a true of, story so it's 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 a western yes but it's based on what really happened so yes right and so i you know like i wanted to make something that takes place now with cowboys and ranchers now because anything new that you see coming out of mainstream Hollywood or mainstream publications or Westerns that took place back in the 1800s before cars. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking you can't build, you can't have a, you, you, you got to modernize the audience in a way that everything else, you know, like look at what Uber did for the taxi business, right? It completely modernized it. It's like you can do that with the Western genre because there are so many, people out there who still like westerns but there hasn't been anything made for them in a long time and so i wanted to do a western that was happening now in this day and age that's currently and culturally relevant that people can relate to so why is it that and maybe it's just that you and i operate in such a small vacuum that we know what the demand and the thirst is for that western you just described and let's look just the recent success stories okay longmire in my mind was vastly successful uh yellowstone is over the top successful and instead of the people who are trying to make entertainment and right now netflix is hungry for anything that they can get that they think might people might watch because everybody's holed up uh instead of trying to make the new do what you're doing instead of coming to brad edwards and saying hey let's get this put together and do it because obviously people want to see this they make toy store 27 i mean (laughs) what why I, i don't understand how they can't I think that they're just so steeped in their own ideals that they can't see where the real demand is. Or are you and I just seeing such a small corner of it that we're jaded in our view? They're lazy, I think is what it boils down to. They're lazy, they're unoriginal, and they're not creative, right? And those are the people making the decisions. And you have you have previous intellectual properties that have made a billion dollars and 10 years have passed and they thought well why not we'll just make it again Did it worked then it mm-hmm. can work now let's just update a few things make it a little more progressive and and, and call it a franchise and let's make a billion dollars and it's the same thing that i just talked about with businesses it's the same thing in the film in the film world these tentpole movies these hundred two hundred three hundred million dollar movies are the ones that are getting made because they know they can make more money on them uh, and, and the smaller independent films, like the great ones that came out of the 90s, like Goodwill Hunting, a lot of the Miramax projects, 
the, those are you don't see those anymore because nobody wants to take a risk on a five million dollar movie when they know they can get five A-list actors together and make a billion dollars. And so I think I think the internet also has something to do with it because it used to be in in the town if you wanted to scout talent you had to go out to the theater you had to go mm-hmm. watch a play you had to go find people who were grinding their way trying to make a living as an actor scraping by or doing what they love to do and now you sit you sit in your chair all day long and you and you point and click with your mouse and and you go oh this guy's got a two million followers on Instagram or this guy's got right. two million followers on YouTube we should just put him in a movie. <laughs> That's why guys never acted a day in his life. And so with that, you have the, the, the executives are making more money and the, and the creative talent is dwindling. And so the expectation is set extremely low now and nobody cares about how good you are at what you do, but it's, you know, it's okay in sports, right? You, you wouldn't have Joe Schmo going up there trying to play basketball with LeBron James. It just wouldn't work. But for some reason, because they have enough followers and it's a subjective art, you can get away with it and media and entertainment. Okay. So I have to ask this because I've obviously developed a huge amount of respect for you in a very short amount of time, admiration and your willingness to say what you think, who the hell's going to hire you in Hollywood? You don't fit in. No, there are a few people out here where you do fit in and, and I've actually been told that I've actually been told that, that I just don't fit in by people who are like-minded saying like, you know, you just made me find something else kind of deal. And it's, uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know. I mean, you just, well, I, I work with the only outfit that had any, that I was aware of that, that was thinking and, and uh, along these lines and walking step and step with us, and that's Forest Films and ESX Entertainment. But uh, the truth of the matter is what we're talking about and what you have described is that most people become chameleons to fit in instead of taking a stand and saying, no, we're going to find a way to do this the way we want it done instead of just conforming to whatever you want. That's a That's a United States patriot speaking right there. So I, well, I'm, they, I'm, and, I'm and riding, find, a, I'm crossing the river with you, Brett Edwards, to say we're going to change this thing and, cr- and at least give people an option. It don't need to be all John Wayne or nothing and conservative values coming in entertainment, but there should at least be choices for people. Amen to that. I wholeheartedly agree. I've been saying it since I moved to this town and, it, you know, make it even. It doesn't even have to be even. Give us 30 percent. See if the numbers don't add up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the same thing they did with American Sniper, where American Sniper came out, it was this huge hit, and they reached out to Warren Brothers and said, you know, what's the answer for this? Is it, you know, why did American Sniper do so well? And the only thing they could come up with was this BS term that is an out that says it's a non-recurring phenomenon, meaning wow, thank God we did that. We got so lucky. We made so much money. We're not going to try anything like that again. <laughs> you know, what does that even mean? What does that even mean? You made a film about a patriot, Chris Kyle. You made a, a lot of money on it. Why not source more more stories like that across, you know, across middle America? You know, I think 
on the coast, they forget a lot of the flyover states, and they forget that that's their audience. The same thing happened when Dancing with the Stars put Sean Spicer on. There was outrage on both coasts. And then somebody made a statement. It got swallowed up in a lot of other stories, and it was a very small statement, but they said, most of our numbers are from middle America, so we're putting people that we think middle America is going to watch. Mm-hmm. And that was a major network. And when I saw that, I was like, oh, maybe there's a shift. Maybe there's some. And then when Ricky Gervais gave his speech about people accepting their awards at the Golden Globes, there, there there's another light at the end of the tunnel. It's like you can only push something so far one way before it's Get before it goes past the people that started the push in the first place, and they're like, "Well, hang on, this is going actually a little bit too far. I think we better pull it back the other way." You know. Uh, I have one minute, just so you know, before I rudely interrupt you for the third time. What was it like to be a part of making a film based on Chris Kyle, a true American patriot? I got a great story about that. My oh, life you can't do it in a minute, can you? I can't do it in a minute, but I can leave a cliffhanger. <laughs> Go. <laughs> you should be in movies. Go ahead. <laughs> just wait until you <laughs> just wait until you hear what Clint Eastwood told me uh, on one day on set when we were working together. That's it. That's your cliffhanger. <laughs> we're gonna take a break. We're gonna be back <laughs> with more roll around on. I need you to write my script, please, for the love of God. (laughs) Yeah, you can have some creative license here, Brett Edwards. Check out the the book. We got to find a place to get the book locally. Sacred Land, a neo western crime novel. The author, the actor, the writer, the true patriot, Brett Edwards. We'll be back with the final segment of Roll Route right after this. I'd like to go into a little greater detail about the Certified Piedmontese Program. Lone Creek Cattle Company has put together a tremendous demand for tender beef. The Piedmontese cattle originate in Italy. Now, the American influence has made these cattle calvingese. I would have to say that my first question when I look at these cattle that are double-muscled, they look so muscular and big hips, how do they calve? We're in our second year, and we've gotten along tremendously well with calving. That works well. What also works well is when you sell those calves in the fall, you get paid a $180 premium. That's because these calves possess the myostatin gene, which is the genomic responsible for tenderness. Tenderness drives demand. That's how it all works. Get more details about the 2021 calf crop you're working on right now at www.longcreekcattleco.com. Welcome back to Roll Route, Trent Loose, alongside Brett Edwards, always drawing you in on the cliffhangers. I do want to promote the book one more time, The Sacred Land, a neo... What does that mean, by the way? I keep saying a neo-Western crime novel. Neo... It's... Neo means new. It's a it's a the new age Western, and it's mm-hmm. kind of a... A lot of people use modern Western, and I'm trying to... Nobody really brands the term neo-Western, but it should be because, I mean, it would be if anyone else made Westerns, but it's just few and far between. Okay. Glenn Eastwood, American sniper. You drew drew the little parallel here, or the the cliffhanger, fill in the gaps. 
Well, here's the payoff. Okay. Uh, so I was, I had just met this gal and we were having a great time and we decided to go to Idaho, uh, Sun Valley, Idaho for a little vacation. And this was back in 2013, 2012. And we were sitting in the airport down in Long Beach, actually. And she, she comes back from the Hudson News and said, Oh, I got you this book. And I, I thought you might like it. And it's American Sniper by Navy SEAL Chris Kyle. And I go, Oh, my first thought was, it's kind of a cheesy name. I hope that the book is better. And I think I read the entire thing on the trip. We had to go to Seattle first and then over to Idaho. I think I read the whole thing on the flight up there. And I just looked up and I'm like, if this gets made into a movie, I've, I've got to be in this movie. This guy's an amazing guy. Like, I, you know, and so I, it was just kind of a pipe dream thought at the time. I was 25 years old. And, and um, so I told my agent at the time who I think he worked out of his mother's basement, you know, <laughs> submitting me to whatever. And I you never picked up the phone, never made phone calls. But I said, listen, if you do anything and you ever do anything, you have to get me an audition because I heard Bradley Cooper on NPR. I, I had looked it up and he was on NPR doing an interview about American Sniper and said, you know, we got to make it soon. And Clint Eastwood's going to direct. And so I called my agent. I said, you've got to get me an audition for this. I don't care what it is. And he said, okay. And so probably two months goes by and he said, I got you an audition for American Sniper. It's a one line role. And I said, great, let's do it. And so I, I lived next to Warner brothers at the time and it was at, Clint Eastwood's offices down there. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I got to the audition like an hour early and sat in the sat in the Warner Brothers parking lot for what seemed ever, and I went down there and, and um, I think I, I read for a scene as a gate guard, and it was some car comes barreling up. The thing got cut from the movie. The whole scene got cut from the movie, and um, but so I read the role and didn't hear anything for a month and just kept calling and checking, you know, with my agent all the time. And I had let my beard grow because I knew that, you know, if it was a Navy SEAL picture, they were all, they would, a lot of them had beards. So I just let the beard grow, grow, grow. Right. Finally, I got a call on a Tuesday and said, can you be at a fitting tomorrow and be on set on a Wednesday? And I said, yeah, sure. Is it for that role? that I read for it. And they said, no, we booked you on something else. You're going to be shooting for the next three weeks. We'll be here to, on Thursday. And then we're going to go down to Mexicali. And, um, you know, and so I said, okay, great. So <clears throat> I get on set and, um, there, you know, I'm there for about a week and there's the scene where they're briefing us about this final operation that takes place with the sandstorm at the end. And um, Clint walks up behind me and he taps me on the shoulder. He's like, give, you know, uh, give, give, give that guy the questions, you know, really give him something to react to. And he said, okay, you got it. And so the scene comes around and we're doing it. And he says action and, and it comes to the end. And I start to say something and the guy next to me jumps over my line and says something to the commander and the commander shuts him down. It's like, you know what? I don't care what you do. Just get the job done. And so Clinton was like, you know, cut, we got it, moving on. And so that was the end of my segment for that week. <laughs> and I had four days to think about it while we moved camp down to Mexicali. 
right. until we shot again. And I'm sitting there going, son of a, you know, I missed yeah. my chance. That was my one chance to show Clint right. Eastwood with Bradley Cooper right there that I could act. And I screwed it up. And so I was like, I told myself, I said, if this, if this happens again, I'm not missing a chance. And so <clears throat> there, we were shooting a scene where we're getting off the roof and, and I'm shooting my rifle and we're shooting real blanks. And by, so by this time, the whole town had come out and they had to rope off two blocks, two square blocks around us because there's so many people around. And so I'm shooting my rifle and, 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 and jump off the roof and all this stuff because Clint asked if any of the actors want to do the real stunts, you know, I'd love for you to do it. And I'm like, well, <laughs> actors get a bad, bad enough name as prima donnas as it is. I'm jumping off this roof and <laughs> slide down the pole. <laughs> and, and they're like, you can't do that. And, you know, everybody's like, this is your first studio gig. What if you mess up? And I'm like, then, then he can have something to remember me by, but I'm not going to be a traditional actor when Clint Eastwood's directing. Right. <laughs> and, um, so we get to a close, so he's going around and he's doing close ups and, we get to the close-up, and he goes, what's your, uh, what's your line? I said, my line is, I'm out of ammo. And he goes, okay, yeah, that's good. I said, but there was a scene that happened later in the movie that we shot earlier today where I'm clearly shooting my rifle. And he goes, oh, okay, okay. So he brings over the technical advisor who was a master sergeant in the Marines, and he said, what does he say? He says, say I'm down to two mags. And I said, okay, yeah, that's good. I'll say, down, I'll say I'm down to two mags. And so Clint goes back and sits in his chair, and they put 30 rounds, they put 30 blank rounds in my magazine. And this is while this firefight's going on, I'm supposed to be shooting my rifle. And the camera slides up and he's like, so I'm going to slide up and I want you to say your line. And I said, okay. The technical advisor pops his ear and he goes, make sure you shoot all your rounds before the cameras, before the camera slides up because those lenses are like $150,000. You don't want to break it. I said, okay, thanks for telling me. So all these people are telling me what to do. And and I'm like, this is my, the camera's going to be right on my face. Eastwood's right there behind the camera. This is my moment to show them, you know, like I belong and I belong on this film. <laughs> and um, so he yells, go. And I got so jacked up that I fired all 30 rounds before the camera got to me. Right. And, and I yelled, get some mother effers, you know, and, <laughs> And, I, and then I yelled, Dion down to two mags. And the, the DP goes, hey, no, stop, just stop. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what, you know? And, and he's like, you fired all your rounds before I got to you. I didn't even see you shoot your gun. It looked ridiculous. And I said, oh, well, the guy said, I, the guy said, you know, I, I, he didn't want me to break the lens. And, and, the, and the DP was from my ear. He's like, we got like five of these things. I don't give a shit if you break the lens. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> and so Eastwood comes sauntering up and he's like, Brett, is it? And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, that ad lib that you're doing, I love it. Say whatever you want. Say whatever you want. And I said, thank you, sir. And he goes, but the rifle, because we're shooting blanks, there's no recoil. He goes, but the rifle you're holding, I really need to see it recoil. You know what I'm saying? And I said, yes, sir. He goes, don't let it look like a limp dick in your hands, okay? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, Mr. Eastwood. Yes, sir, on this next one, it's going to look like a cannon. He goes, great. And he sits down, and I start practicing 
trying to make the recoil look real, you know, and, and not fabricated. And he sits there and he points his finger gun at me and does the dirty hairy. And he's just starts. He goes, yeah, just like that. Okay, let's shoot this thing. And I, it was, uh, you know, I, I made a recoil on the next one and it made it in the picture. And and afterwards, we're sitting on a we're sitting on a furnace together. It's like 110 degrees outside. And he's 84, turned 84 on the set. And we're just sitting on a furnace. And I said, thank you so much for your opportunity. He's like, that was really good stuff. Uh, you'll do all right this town. And and then they go, boss, we we got to shoot another thing over here. He's like, I got to go. And <laughs> walked away. And I was like, that. <laughs> it, it seemed kind of like it was a dream when it happened yeah. at the time, you know. But right. what a great experience. Yeah, that'll be something to tell for a long time. That's incredible. All right, and guess what? With that, we're down to the final two minutes. What do you want to remind us to your profound wisdom to take us home today about life in general, a novel, or what do you suggest we do? I don't know. I'm I'm an actor and writer. I think people, especially in your part of the country, are tired of hearing the crap that comes out of their mouth. So I think... Let your kids play in the dirt. There's so much good stuff in that dirt. I think there's a lot of cures in that dirt that that'll solve a lot of problems. And you know, get them off the iPads and get them out in, in, in nature and let them figure some stuff out for themselves. And check out my book if you if you find yourself bored, Sacred Land. Uh, I'd love. Well, we'll look at getting it in. Uh, some bookstores where you're at too i think it'd be great yeah i'll help you with distribution um i know for a fact that people in my country are are tired of hearing individuals from hollywood speak up and trying to control our lives but so at so many levels brett edwards you inspire people to stand up for what you really believe no matter what people around you want you to say or think or do the United States of America was created by people who were willing to stand up to tyranny and stand up for what they thought was right. And it's high time that we come together on our differences and we celebrate the fact that we have different thought processes and that at the end of the day, we still recognize that we are part of the United States of America. We're not one way or the other. Brett, I look forward to shaking your hand. Probably. Yes, sir. Hug you, but, you know, that's, that has nothing to do with COVID. <laughs> No, no. There's, I get all the hugs I need out here from people I've never met on new sets. <laughs> We've so, successfully journeyed Jake down. Is just fine with me. We've journeyed down the road connecting rural and urban America. My thanks to Brett Edwards. I'm Trent Luce. Both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route. Couple things I want to remind you of: Exarban Stock Show 2020, full steam ahead. Last weekend of September. Your young young people have plenty of time to enter. Deadlines are coming up, but we're not there yet. All species of livestock. It's a scholarship opportunity. The Purple Ribbon Auction will be a tremendous opportunity. And the other thing, it's a Red Shirt Friday. We always say thank you every day, not just on Fridays. The All-American Beef Battalion on the front line saying thank you to those men and women risking their lives to protect our freedom for 243 years. And we do it with beef. 
get more details about the concept behind the 12 years in action. It's not just a concept. It's 12 years of saying thank you with beef. Stakesfortroops.com. Have a fantastic weekend.